Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. Welcome back once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. I'm your host, David Lewis, and here is where we talk about the methods and technologies for driving growth. Let's talk about methods. You guys are hopefully familiar with our D3 methodology. This is a methodology that we introduced two years ago, uh, and it is a B2B marketing methodology, a holistic methodology to help you maximize the revenue growth and impact for your organization. I can't stress the importance of at least learning this methodology at a high level. And that is why in today's episode, we're going to focus on demand expansion. We brought back three episodes that we did several years ago because they were such popular episodes then. And I know that many of you that are new to the channel probably didn't go back and listen to all of them. So here you go. This one is about demand expansion. At the end of the episode, we're going to let you guys know about ways that you can take a free self-assessment and have my advisory team do a custom review with you of where you are on this maturity curve. It will help you tremendously, and I encourage you to take advantage. There's no hooks, there's no strings, and it is a free assessment for you. So let's dive into the episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can find your way back to the channel as we make episodes for you every week. That'll do it. Let's dive in. I want to start off with a little story since we are talking about customer loyalty, uh, which really the basis of customer loyalty comes from your customer experience. On the way to work this morning, I did what I, I will say often do. It's probably a once a week experience, Carlos, where I get in my car and I start heading to the office and about three minutes into my drive, when I am down the street, I get to an intersection where there is uh, a very, very long light. And at that light, Carlos, which is at the corner of the McDonald's, I can pull out my mobile phone, you know, right there on the rack, touch the McDonald's app and click on the orders button. It shows me my pre-orders. I click one more time, which is reorder. And I click pay, double tap uh, using Apple Pay and wait a few more seconds, maybe 30 more seconds. The light turns green. I turn left and then I turn into the McDonald's on the corner. I walk up or I drive up to the um, the drive-through, tell them I'm here to pick up order CX25 or whatever the four-digit code is that I can actually remember because it's a small four-digit code. Uh, I drive through, I don't grab a receipt, I grab the bag and I'm out of there in about 45 seconds to a minute. Total customer experience from order to receipt, uh, may, maybe a minute and a half. I mean, McDonald's has really done a great job, but I will tell you, uh, this isn't quite inside information, but I do have some good inside contacts at McDonald's for some projects that we're working about. And they're taking data and promotions and customer engagement, and they're really going to start applying data in new ways, not only to know what I've reordered in the past, but upsell and cross-sell promotions and all kinds sure. of um, incentives. And it's uh, they even know the patterns of what day of the week that I'm typically going there. Um, so there's some really cool stuff technology-wise coming from McDonald's. And I wanted to start there because they're just one of many experiences that we can talk about in, in B2C. And you know, today, let's continue to talk about B2C. I want to talk about a hotel uh, customer journey a little bit. But most of the people who listen to Demand Gen Radio, most of you guys, 
I know are in B2B marketing because that's how you know myself, you know, Carlos, you know, uh, demand gen now BDO digital. So we'll make sure we talk plenty about B2B, but the reason I want to start there, Carlos is that was a customer journey, right? That was my buyer's journey. Even though I was an existing customer, that frictionless experience was a great buyer's journey. What are your, what are your thoughts in terms of contrasting, uh, how intentional B2C companies are, the good ones, about looking at the buyer's journey versus what we're doing or not doing in, in B2B? Yeah, I think one of the questions I get is what B2B customers are doing this? What can you guys point to uh, from a B2B uh, example of, of companies that are doing it well? And the reality is there's not a whole lot. And that's one of the reasons we talk about B2C is because there's a lot of brands that are doing that experiential component and understanding that journey uh, so, so well. And I think what we have to do, I, I, I stop short at saying we have to mimic what B2C does. We, we don't have to mimic, but I think we can take on some of the attributes and the characteristics that we see our B2C companies doing and doing well. And one of those things is understanding what is that journey that a customer takes once they buy something. Yeah. And it's not, it's, you know, I've heard people talking about, you know, turn the funnel upside down. It's not about a funnel. It is about now that your customer has purchased something, they now actually become a customer. What do they do next? And Dave, as you and I have talked about, it's what do we want them to feel? And yeah. one of the things that I've seen B2B brands do much to their uh, own, uh, basically putting an obstacle really not do well is, is tap into the human side of B2B. And we talk about accounts and we talk about clients and we talk about customers, but we forget the fact that there's somebody on that buying committee who may have had buyer's remorse mm -hmm. uh, and not because they feel like they made a right choice, but because they just spent six figures in buying a piece of technology or a service. Yeah. So what do we want them to feel at that point of purchase? Then what do we want them to feel as we start to onboard them? What does that step, what do those onboarding steps look like? Do we send them, do we put a, a welcome call into them from an account rep that introduces themselves and says, hey, I'm going to be your main point of contact. I'm going to provide you the assurances that your investment is going to bring all the value that you were sold during that buying process. And I think if we understand that journey, it allows us to say, what do we want the customer to feel? And then who on my side from a vendor perspective is responsible for driving that home. And it's probably a multitude of roles, including marketing, customer support, uh, sales, uh, finance, even down to like, how are we billing this customer? Do we make billing and payment easy? Those are all things we have to consider. No, uh, the great, great points. Um, in terms of our own billing, I've seen, you know, over the 13 plus years that we have been running demand gen, now BDO Digital, uh, move from checks uh, that our clients have sent us to ACH payments. You yourself um, familiar, you know, like all of our employees are paid digitally uh, instead yeah. of sending checks, right? So what what, what I think for you guys we're going to do is uh, I talked about demand expansion and we're going to put up on the screen right now the view of our of the, the third D, demand expansion. So you can see all the key initiatives right there that are needed for you to really maximize uh, this experience that we're talking about. And the first thing that you can see there is we really need to focus on the customer journey. 
And Carlos, the other day we had a team meeting uh, at, at BDO Digital and we had a bunch of folks on the, on the go-to-market team that is working with a very, very large hotel chain, one of the largest ones in the world. They have 7,000 hotels, almost a million uh, customers that, that visit the hotels. And one of the slides that we spent the most amount of time on as we're coming up with a presentation uh, for their team is the customer journey slide. And there was something like, I don't have it in front of me, but there's something like 10 different columns with icons at the top. And each icon represented a key part of the customer journey. So for example, check-in at the hotel um, is a key stage. It's a key part of the experience. That's why it's mapped out. Check out is a key stage. Um, their time at the hotel, especially if it's a multi-day uh, stay versus an overnight business traveler stay, different type, we'll get into customer segmentation, but different type of stay. So every single, uh, this slide had every single major step in the buyer's journey. And even though, by the way, guys, this is a B2C uh, experience, it's not fully B2C because the hotel has corporate events and, and that type of stuff as well. But the point here is that the journey is mapped out from actually a little bit of pre-purchase all the way past mm -hmm. the experience, past checking out of the hotel. And what I would ask each of you to do and be really intentional about is to get a, a task force together and look at your buyer's journey from, from close and beyond, at least start from close. If you wanna go earlier in the journey, which kind of gets into demand management and demand creation, fine. But really what I, you know, the exercise is put some time on your calendars with the right people to look at what the customer experience is like. Every one of those major steps along the journey uh, when somebody becomes a client, because by doing so, you're going to look at all those critical touch points that, that you have that Carlos is, is talking about. And we got to remember that whether you're doing account-based marketing or, you know, selling to companies, as soon as someone becomes a client, I don't care how big the company is, you're dealing with individuals, right? Right, Carlos? I mean, I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, that gets back to the point of the uh, knowing what you want that customer to feel. And I, I even make the case that we should be doing that when we're going after from a demand creation and demand management perspective, understanding the different roles at play and their biases, their challenges. And Dave, when you talk about the, the customer journey, I, I think you should be mapping that out internally. The other thing I would add is once you've designed that, once you've defined that and documented it, yeah. take that to your customers and saying, what did we miss? Yeah. Does this accurately portray the journey that you've taken with us and all the different steps? Because you may have missed some that the customers can then point out to you. Yeah. By, by mapping it out visually and looking at this is a way for you to see what the distinct experiences are at that time. It's a way for you to look at what the content strategy needs to be at that time. I'm going to come back to this in a second, Carlos. It's a way for you to look at you know what data you need to store, who's involved, um, how to make it a high-touch experience, but how to make it a frictionless experience. I'll give you an example, Carlos. Uh, we are working, as as you know, on a project with Adobe called Project Sherpa. And it's a, mm -hmm. it's a very special, it's quite an honor that we've been selected by Adobe to work with their uh, many of their marquee clients that they want to make sure get maximum value out of the Adobe suite. And when we put this project together, we have every one of the major stages mapped out. 
So we have the very uh, the kickoff call with the client. Now these are not our clients; these are Adobe's clients that you know we're we're working with Adobe on. So we're getting introduced to them. That first meeting has the whole experience mapped out: what slides we're using, what the main messaging is, what the takeaway is, and that type of stuff, and what we're using. And and every time we do one of those, we look at this and say to ourselves, kind of continuous improvement: what can we do differently or better based on what the experience was to make it. Um, right make them that much more enjoyable and maybe that much more clear uh, for the people that are that are attending. And many a times we'll have IT on there, marketing people on there, various different folks that are on there. So different different messaging. Uh, and then then there's the next meeting, which is a discovery meeting that we do, which has often a different audience on that. So we've mapped out every single one of these all the way through the completion of the engagement. And, and what we do every time is have a debrief and make it better. Now, I'm not saying you're going to do that in perpetuity every single time but because this is a new initiative for us we are really making sure that we don't you know set it and forget it and just let the team you know kind of figure out what the experience should be Carlos it's got to be really really um a, a a tremendous experience for them and and we've been getting feedback from them and and we're doing that we do the same thing with employee onboarding right which is which is a whole customer journey in and of itself it's just your employee how do you when you're working with clients um, love to hear some of your experiences in terms of like what's working and what's what's not working. You once you once share with me that I asked, you know, are you finding in B two B that there's a chief experience officer? And uh, love for you to love for you to give me that response again because it's 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 not good news. Yeah, I think in B two B there's not a whole lot of chief experience officers. I wish there were more. Uh, so typically this falls to the CMO among everything else that's already on the CMO's plate. And when I talk to customers and especially CMOs who are saying I'm responsible for the experience, what I hear is I'm responsible for the experience, but I don't have the authority to make any changes in this area. Yeah. And, and for example, say customer support. And so then I say, well, then how are you responsible for the customer experience? Because you're only responsible then for part of that journey. Um, and that's where you also, and, and we could do a whole nother podcast just on the difference between customer service and customer experience. I can provide really good customer service. I can have a lousy experience. I had that happen to me last night with a vendor that I won't mention on this show. But I, I think what we have to understand is the experience is, is long tail. It, you, you said at the beginning, Dave, customer lifetime value. It's the lifetime of that customer. And I still believe it starts before anybody buys anything. Yeah. So this is why we need chief experience officers or give the CMO the latitude to make the necessary changes based on the feedback you're getting from your customers. Because we know being in B2B for so long, Dave, the, the rapid change that happens in our world, especially with digital transformation, is so fast. The experience piece is not set it and forget it. So right. the way you're talking to customers, the content you're using, how you're engaging with them, the cross-sell, upsell, it is moving so fast. If we don't have somebody responsible for all of it, it it's going to be the weak link in the chain scenario where eventually it's going to fall apart. Yeah. I mean, the CEO, from a title perspective, could be rebranded chief experience officer, right? We, sure. we yeah. could look to the leader of the organization for looking at that. And, and in fact, uh, I've sent out a couple invites to some CEOs where I feel they have a really good customer experience and I've, I've asked them to come on the podcast. And so 
I'm looking forward to bringing these episodes to you guys because I want you to hear an example of a CEO who really gets how important uh, the customer experience is uh, coming up. And, and yet many CEOs, that's not their passion. That's not their background. They maybe have a more operational or more technical background. Um, uh, some CEOs are really, really passionate about it. I know, I know I've always been passionate about our customer uh, experience. And if it's not there, as Carlos said, it's probably got to be in customer success or your CMO. It certainly should be in today's day and age, the CMO, because marketing is not just about demand creation and demand management. By the way, if we if we didn't mention it earlier, why? Why is this so important to your business? Because the majority of your annual revenue and the majority of your growth comes from your customer base, comes mm -hmm. from your install base. If you want to be, I was going to say selfish, but you know, marketing, if you want to make your jobs quote a little easier, not that it ever gets easier. Um, if you have a big attrition problem in your company, then the demands on marketing to keep growing the customer base are exponential every year because you just have this leaky business where your customers are, are going away faster than your uh, growth rate. And if, and if you're not, if your retention's not higher than 50%, then you you really can't catch up. You can't you can't win there because your your company growth. Most companies have you know single digit, double digit growth. Even you know very rare companies having 50, 80, 100 percent growth. All you have to we've been on the Inc. Five Hundred a couple of times, um, Carl. So I know like to get on the Inc. Five Hundred, yeah, you have crazy growth numbers, which normally happen in your first like three to five years as a business, but to make it on the Inc. 500 after you've been in business for 10 years or 20 years, it just rarely ever happens, if ever, because you're so big, you just can't grow at those percentage rates. So if you're having uh, attrition issues, you just, you can't win and your your company will ultimately um, decline. Let's talk go about, ahead. go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think that customer retention, Dave, this is where we saw a lot of companies pivot when, when all hell broke loose with COVID last year is we had our clients calling you, calling me, calling Rob, saying, hey, we need to now focus on our, our customers. And strictly from a professional perspective, I was like, well, it's, it's about damn time. And what I think what we do as marketers is we say, oh, well, we're, we're focused on new logo because we're going to grow market share. You're not growing market share if you have a leaky business, as you talked about. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to go and say, hey, we're going to only focus on new uh, client acquisition, in the name of market share, you always have to compare that to your attrition rates. And if you can drive that retention and drive customer adoption, cross-sell, upsell, et cetera, you will grow your business exponentially. And yeah. you can do it year over year when you combine that with new logo acquisition. Let's break down how you do this. Um, I started with the customer journey mapping exercise, right? That doesn't have to be fancy. You can do it in Word. You can do it in Excel. You can do it in PowerPoint. Whatever can give you rows and columns so that you can identify what each one of the key stages are in the customer journey. And, and maybe it's there's a bit of infinite to it um, ultimately, but at least you're going to map out maybe five to ten key stages in the buyer's journey. The next thing that you want to do uh, underneath once you've identified that is what's the goal? What are you trying to accomplish at that particular stage? Let's take one for example, Carlos which is onboarding, okay? You you have a brand new customer. They've just became a client of your company, whether you're a software company or a manufacturing company or business service. How are you kicking off with them? 
what's the very first engagement that you have with that company post-purchase? That's the first stage. And, and let's go through a scenario, Carlos, where we can talk about what some of the content you would do. Because that's, that's once you know the stage and you want to know what the desired outcome is, you can talk about the content. So let's take our clients, for example. We have a brand new client, Carlos, let's say we've signed, the sales team has brought them on, uh, and now they're kicking off with the services team. What would be an example uh, of one of the desired outcomes that we have in that first experience with the client? I think reassuring them they made the right choice. Anytime you you sign a big ticket item, whether it's a, a product or a service, there's always that, oh, I hope I made the right choice. Uh, it's just human nature. Again, that that H word, the human word. So I think just a, a email out as well as a phone call. I was talking to somebody today. I said, we've really lost the art of the phone call. So sending, first of all, an email that just says, hey, thank you for putting your trust in us. We're going to do everything we can to make you as successful as possible. And that's something I try to do with every client that we sell to. And then explaining to them what happens next so for Bingo. us using our example here's what you can expect here's your client engagement manager here's your project manager these are all the things we are going to do to make you successful and here are a few dates and times we need to schedule for our kickoff call but before we get our kickoff call uh, before we have that we also want to meet with your key stakeholders to just make sure once again we are all aligned and then give you a heads up of what you can expect for the kickoff call. Yeah. What we have to understand is our customers have not been through this before. We've done this for 13 years. Mm -hmm. They may be brand new to us and have no idea what our process is. So I want them to feel as comfortable and confident as they can be once we get to that kickoff call with their team and really set the course and give them an idea of everything they can expect along the way and then who to call how do, can I reach them? What do I need to do? What's going to be expected all the way through the engagement? Yeah. So you guys can see, I mean, Carlos mapped it out right there for our own clients. Hopefully you guys are thinking about your client experience. The one you hit is, is a bit of, of neuro, neuro marketing to it, newer sales to it, which is you, you covered buyer's remorse. One of the first things you said is reassure them that they made the right decision. And that is absolutely critical in the first engagement with a client because they've been working with the sales team likely for the most part up until this right. point and now they're getting introduced to a new group now again we're using us as an example because it's easy for us to talk to but you know just map this to your business if you're a software company and someone just signed the license for your technology right now you guys are kicking off with that vendor and you're talking about deployment he carlos covered up buyers remorse introductions who does what right they don't know any of your team and their team doesn't know you guys. So having effective introductions frame that of what, you know, it's not just, hi, my name's Carlos Adago. I'm in North Carolina right now, and this is my role. Um, that That's maybe a start, but it's more, you know, personal aspect to it. But it's what is that person going to be doing with the client? Why are they on the call? And how are they being in introduced? Number Next thing you said was, what comes next? Anytime in B2B that you buy something that is powerful, sophisticated, um, just something that you have to use, whether, whether I mean, a lot of people buying home automation systems, right? And are, are implementing Nest uh, thermostats or other home automation, right? As soon as they get the product and, the, and it arrives, and Apple was really good at this, the unboxing of the, the 
you know, that that's part of the customer experience, but the documentation, what comes next? So if you're selling to people and you're on calls with them, you're unboxing with them. You need to let them know what comes next, how they can quickly get started um, and have some quick wins. And that's, that's important. All right. Next, next stage uh, in, in your customer experience, let's, let's jump further down because as you guys saw, let's, let's pull it back up on the screen so you guys can see it. If you weren't looking at it before, this is demand expansion. You can see all the key initiatives that are there. We've got, uh, for those of you that aren't looking at it, customer journey, customer segmentation, content strategy and onboarding, customer nurturing, customer adoption, retention, and actually advocacy. Pick any of those, Carlos. Let's talk a little bit about what you should or could be doing uh, in that area to maximize your, your demand expansion. Yeah, I think, you know, we talked about the onboarding, but I think just as important as the nurturing and the adoption, okay. how many software, how many companies have we worked with who have adopted MarTech software, and they will be the first to tell you, we're not getting the value out of this. I think it was Walker, if I'm not mistaken, a number of years ago, said only 3% of companies say they're getting the full value out of their software purchases. Wow. That's an alarming number. And I think what we do is we say, all right, we got a customer. Now let's see how we can cross sell and upsell them rather than being patient and saying, let's make sure they are fully adopting and getting the value from the investment that they made out of that software, nurture them in a way to help them adopt that. So things like training tips, uh, uh, you know, uh, releases, different case studies or use cases on how they can apply that software, really put a lot of attention into getting them to adopt mm -hmm. the full suite of products or to adopt the full service that they purchased. Then once they do that and they're seeing the value, it almost gives us permission to say, hey, by the way, you bought product A, here's why you should buy product B and C. This is how else it could do, this is what else it could do for you. And once they've had that experience, of onboarding, being nurtured, full adoption, getting the value, knowing what's next. That's what builds that experience and the confidence. So of course they're gonna consider and most likely make that next purchase with you because they have that good feeling. They yeah. know they, they can put their trust in you and that's what leads to higher retention scores and ultimately advocacy. Yeah, a couple things I hear there, which I wanna echo is if you're mapping out your buyer's journey, we've added a layer, right? Ver we're verbally talking about the layers your, your content strategy, your customer nurturing, as Carlos said, what are you nurturing and doing at each stage? And in this table that you're building, uh, you want to talk about the channels. Are you making phone-based calls? Are you sending emails? Are you doing direct mail? Um, where is the engagement happening through what medium? Uh, and, and then talking about what you're gonna be using um, during that communication, absolutely critical. If you were, let, let's let's pick a product. You 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 bought a new car, and now you have this car, and you guys know the car buying experience, traditional car buying experience. You go on a lot. You pick your car out. Uh, you eventually get your car, and you drive off. Well, in today's cars, there's a lot of capabilities in cars that is not intuitive that we haven't ever experienced uh, before. What does a good dealer do? They offer you beyond just on the lot, because at that time, you're kind of like wanting to drive off and get in your car, they they should have you back to make sure that they go through all the features 
of the car and see how your client experience is to make sure that you're getting full value. Whether it's software where you're only getting 3% or a car that's got a lot of navigation, other capabilities, uh, they should be following up. So if you're in B2B and someone just buys your software and system, what are you gonna be doing content-wise and nurturing-wise to make sure that they properly move in, quickly move in, and that you hear how their customer experience is uh, so you can improve it, where they're going. You may have a training center that they tried to log into and couldn't figure out how to log into. And by the way, if you're doing training, maybe you want to make it more open and use YouTube or something that's less gated uh, for them to access in a, in a frictionless way. So think about the customer nurturing. We're seeing a lot of use of direct mail uh, these days. People like tangible items that we all get so much email and it's so noisy and you can't write long emails. They're not effective. So getting back to direct mail uh, is is important. Um, Carlos, what have you, from a nurturing perspective, uh, any thoughts in terms of, for B2B, the importance of, like we're getting Zoom fatigue, uh, but it is a very effective way, face-to-face, -face, to be engaging with other people. What are you seeing or recommending in terms of customer engagement beyond uh, beyond the Zoom call? Yeah, you know, I think just picking up the telephone, I, I go back to my uh, some of my time at BMC Software, where we actually took the inside sales team, we had 5,000 customers in our division. We took our inside sales team and said, we're going to try something for a year, we turned them into client account managers, or basically account managers, and their first order of business, I think there was nine of them. So we divvied up the customer base. And we said, your first order of business is to simply call each customer and thank them for being our customer. No sales pitch. No, hey, you know, you're up for renewal or we know you're on an old virgin, uh, version. Um, we just wanted to thank them for being our customer. Yeah. So many salespeople don't, don't call oh, the customer after oh, close, yeah. which that's mind-blowing to me. I would say the majority of salespeople after they close yeah. a deal don't call back, but the really good ones do because when you when we get to advocacy and word of mouth marketing the salespeople who maintain that relationship with a client exactly. are really going to get way more value than the license uh agreement or whatever they sold to them through that advocacy and and i think just picking up the telephone so if i'm if i'm running a customer support desk and i see a ticket come in even if it's a a self-service ticket a follow-up email with a phone call that says hey carlos i just wanted to follow up and make sure that the problem that you, that we closed out, that we addressed for you, that everything was met, was done according to what you needed. How was that experience? Is there anything we can do to improve upon? Yeah. You're now asking the customer how they felt. Did we meet your needs? Do we continue to provide value? You're not trying to sell anything. Right. You're building that goodwill with that person who is invested in you as a vendor and what you're selling. So you mentioned direct mail as well. Handwritten notes go a long way to just saying, hey, I just wanted to thank you for being our customer. You know, thanks thanks for everything, Dave Lewis. Yeah. We don't do that anymore. And so we're so reliant on text. And I think I'm all about digital transformation, but let's not lose the fact, it's, as we've mentioned, and I've mentioned a few times, we're still dealing with people. And if I can nurture them to help make their jobs better, yeah. And, and CEB a number of years ago, which is now Gartner, did a study that showed if I can help improve your role or your company through my service or software, I have a 34% greater chance of renewing your contract with no competition 
than I do if I don't. Think about that. If we could renew with no interference from competition and increase that likelihood by 34%, what does that do for our business yeah. in the bottom line? It's huge. All right, let's wrap then with uh, some takeaways for you guys. First of all, what Carlos just said about writing handwritten notes, someone is your customer. I don't care what role you are in. Maybe you have an internal customer, someone that you can thank. Um, write a thank you card today. Don't wait because you'll forget about it, but just write a thank you card to someone uh, because it's a lost art and it will mean the world to them, especially if you write it versus just sending an email or a text message. If you're customer facing, uh, definitely write a note to a customer and just thank them for being a customer. If you're a salesperson uh, and you've closed a deal, make sure that you are following up. And if you're in the marketing or customer success team, um, first of all, go grab uh, the information that we, if you're listening to this, uh, be sure to take a look at the D3 methodology videos on YouTube uh, and look at those, I think it's 11 or 12 initiatives that we've got mapped out for you around demand expansion. Last one being advocacy. Um, you have to earn the right for that. And there's some very clever things that you can do to get customer advocacy. And, and it's important, whether that's on the G2 website or whether it's just word of mouth uh, advocacy, uh, case studies, or your clients speaking, doing public speaking, whether that's webinars or on stage for you, and certainly social media examples. We've done a ton, Carlos, as you know, where we have sent gifts to our clients. Um, recently, actually, on the podcast, we sent out uh, these beautiful crystal microphones to the 10 most popular podcasts of 2020, and several of the recipients posted them on social media and thanked for being on, which is a great way to promote the podcast. Maybe some of you discovered it that way. So when you've earned advocacy, make sure that you are putting programs in place that enable people to be your advocates. They're, they're, yeah, they'll do some word of mouth if they have a good experience at your hotel or with your technology, but think about and be very intentional in that uh, journey, what they can do from an advocacy perspective. All right, well, that is gonna do it for you for this episode. That is episode number three of this little mini series we did on the D3 methodology, but you can learn a whole lot more and get a lot more value from me and my team. How do you do that? Very simple, take a look at the show notes. If you're listening to the podcast, look at the session description and you will find links. If you're on the YouTube channel, which is at demandgen.tv and you're watching the content right there, take a look and open up these show notes. By the way, while you're there, don't forget to click on subscribe with notifications turned on on either platform so you can find your way back to the channel. But right now, hopefully you are looking and seeing that in these show notes, we give you a link to a landing page where you can do a self-assessment. I strongly encourage you to take the few minutes to do that because then what my team will do is we'll look at that assessment and offer you, if you'd like, a free time, 45-minute time with my team to take you through a custom readout of that assessment and give you some recommendations. No cost, no strings. I encourage you guys to do that. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Hope you got a lot from it. I look forward to catching you guys on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.